You're listening to Stand Out Get Noticed, episode 272. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome to Stand Out Get Noticed. I'm your host, Christina Cantors. I help ambitious professionals and business leaders to build powerful communication skills. You can learn more at thecmethod.com. Now, if you're brand new to this podcast, a massive welcome to you. We release episodes weekly and you have free access to the most recent 20 episodes plus a selection from the back catalogue. All 200 plus episodes are available to members of the C-Method Academy, which is our monthly training program and community. And you can learn more about the Academy at thecmethod.com slash join. Now, I'm really excited to be sharing this episode with you. It's specifically for you if you are a non-native English speaker. Now, we talk a lot about being able to communicate well in the workplace, and this is challenging enough, right, even if English is your first language. But what if English is not your native language? I have met many people who have what seems to to me, to be a very high level of competency with English. You know, we can have a great conversation and I can understand what they're saying, yet they share with me the challenges they experience in the workplace, such as they'll say, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, or I'm worried that people won't understand my accent, so I don't speak up at all. Sometimes people say to me, I don't understand the local slang or humor and I feel left out. Other worries are that you know, their vocabulary isn't good enough or they don't know how to ask for feedback on their English. So if that sounds like you, I want you to settle on the couch with a hot drink or a cold drink if it's hot where you are, or go out for a walk, being, you know, protecting yourself with a a mask and socially distancing, of course, and listen to this episode. Because what you're going to discover is that, yes, you can feel confident in your communication, and you can thrive in the workplace as a non-native English speaker. And to share with us her insights into this topic, I'm so excited for you to meet Tara Cull, who is a landscape architect, an English teacher, and founder of Archi English. Through her coaching, she helps professionals in the architecture industry to advance their English, unlock their hidden potential, and to build confidence in the workplace. Now, whilst Tara is a native English speaker herself, she's also from Melbourne, uh, like me, she, she's been living in Montpellier in France for the last two years. So she's been learning French from scratch, and she experiences the same challenges with vocabulary, culture, and you know not fitting in with, with the local language. She experiences all of those challenges as well. So she certainly walks her talk. So it was great to hear her experience as well with learning French as a second language. In this conversation, we explore some of the biggest challenges faced by non-native English speakers in the workplace. We talk about how to stop worrying about your accent and how to embrace it as part of your identity. And Tara also shares her top tips for continuing to develop and improve in your English communication. To connect with Tara and for resources mentioned in this episode, make sure you visit the show notes at thecmethod.com slash 272. That link is also in the description of this podcast in your app. All right, you ready, Rockstar? Let's meet Tara Carl. 
I know that um, the people you work with are high-performing professionals. Mm-hmm. I just want to get clear with the listeners. When we say non-native English speakers or English as a second language, what is the level of English that we're referring to? So generally the people that I work with have a high intermediate level or an advanced level. And I've even been working with people who, for example, have lived in Australia for 10 years, have been learning English for over 15 years, but there are certain things that they want to advance or they feel less confident with. So we're talking about people who already have a very good hold of the English language. So my next question is, if you're already pretty good at English, what are some of the biggest challenges that people face in the workplace? And that's a really good question because it's you would be surprised how many people, although they have such a high level, they still have these struggles. And very often people, a lot of the questions that people have are, you know, how can I, how can I be more confident in a meeting? Because I sit there and I really want to say something but I don't say anything. They feel like if I say something, um, people are going to criticise me or they're not going to say the right thing. They're my biggest biggest challenges. It's the, the feeling like a failure as well, feeling like if I don't say certain things, I'll be a failure. Or, or very often, if we take the case of Australia, for example, a lot of people come to Australia who have English as a second language. And there's a lot of pressure because, you know, they've got their family there. They have to perform and and they really just don't want to be a failure. So, yeah, they're, they're the, my biggest problems. And funnily enough, the biggest problems not really to do with the language itself. It's more about how they feel. In your experience, Tara, how, how many or what, let's say, what proportion of your clients' challenges actually come from how the way they think, such as their mindset, the way they think about their level of English compared to their actual level of English and competence with the language? You know, on face value, when I speak to people, it seems like they have a very good grasp of the language and they have very good vocabulary. They have all those sorts of things. So I would say it's the people that come to me, it's 80% how I feel and 20% I need to do this because also things like difficulties with vocabulary and difficulties with understanding phrasal verbs, for example, are all things that you can you can action quite easily because you can do certain things to be able to improve those aspects. But it's more just the the pressure and the feeling of the feeling of I need to perform. And you're absolutely right because even myself when I'm speaking in any occasion, I'm like, oh, I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. I feel the pressure. You know, it's, it's all the same things. And, and I think a lot of people who have English as a second language, and I know myself speaking French, is that we just feel as though we, we need to be better or we need to perform. But everyone has that same, that same fear. And that, that's not to take it away from people who have English as a second language because it is challenging. Absolutely, it's challenging. It's so complex and layered. But, yeah, we all have the, those same struggles and difficulties. Do you think people feel like they are less than or not good enough because their English isn't on the same level 
as their colleagues? I think so. I think that is the biggest thing. Uh, I have a student at the moment who he he speaks such amazing English. He's got a very high level, got a high level of vocabulary. Yet at the end of every lesson, he just says, oh, my accent, it's just not good. And I have to say to him, I just, I understand everything you're saying. The message is coming across. It's, you know, it's okay what you're saying. So yeah, it's, it's really, it's a challenge for some people that they, they can't let go of it. They really can't let go of it. So where does that come from? Why do people believe that their accent is no good? What is the the fear behind that? I think we, I mean, humans themselves, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to to sound the same. And I guess when you go to a country, say, for example, you go to Australia and you want to sound like what everyone else sounds like, you don't want to stick out, you don't want to draw attention to yourself. I know myself when I'm in a conversation with French people and there's lots of people around the table, if it's my turn to talk or somebody asks me, my heart's racing. I'm thinking, no, stop looking at me. Don't look at me. I don't want anyone to look at me because they're going to judge me. I fear that they're going to judge me. But then all of a sudden I think, what am I doing? I'm telling my students to, you know, it's okay. People are not judging you but I still have that same response. So I can understand. And at the end of the day, when, when I've said things in French, yeah, I've made mistakes, but people, I, I made a joke the other day in French, actually. It was really exciting because everyone <laughs> laughed. But then at the end, one of my friends said to me, actually, you said it a little bit wrong, but that doesn't matter. At least you made people laugh. So I think, I think it comes from this idea that we need to be perfect um, sometimes it can be culturally in in the culture that people come from, you have to be perfect. So it can come from lots of different things. But I think really a lot of people see this need to perform as a, a fear of failure, which is, you know, having an experience that it's myself, it's like you've got to work through these things, really. So what have you done, Tara, to help yourself through these challenges with speaking French? For me, the number one thing that's helped is I've had a teacher for the last two years. We meet once a week. We speak about things and I, I debrief a lot of these situations with her. So I talk about, oh, this person said this and I didn't really understand what they were saying. Can you explain it? Uh, also, other things that you can that I have done in situations in France is I went to somebody that wasn't my own partner who was a buddy for me. So in these situations, I either make sure I'm sitting near them or or afterwards I'll say, hey, what did that mean sort of thing. So I kind of try and buddy up with people so that they they can be sitting in a conversation and know that I'm going through this and offer some form of support or something during that time. That helps. Hmm. <laughs> I know, Tara, that you mentioned when we were having a chat before we hit record, you mentioned that um, feedback can often be quite difficult for non-native English speakers in terms of receiving feedback or asking for feedback. Can you share a bit about, you know, why that feedback is important and how to go about receiving it? Yeah, absolutely. 
So yeah, you're right. Feedback is hard and it differs for different people. So for example, in France, to give somebody feedback on the way that they speak is, is not difficult for them. They will just offer corrections and things like that without needing for somebody to ask. But in a place like Australia, we're not necessarily uh, used to just in the middle of a conversation correcting somebody. So feedback in that way is sometimes some people want it, but they don't get it. Some people don't want it, but they get it. So I think in that way, the best way to ask for feedback is to ask people. You really need to ask people and ask for a situation or to, to be put in a situation that's safe and supportive and and that you know that feedback is coming. I think that's the first thing. And that, that also helps the people that are giving the feedback as well because I don't know if you might feel the same, but if I was in Australia and I was sitting around a table with a lot of non-native speakers and somebody started saying something wrong, I wouldn't feel comfortable stopping them and saying, actually, that's not how you say it. You say it like this. Whereas they may be feeling, oh, I want you to correct me. I want you to correct me. So I think it's about if you want to be, if you want to be corrected or you want feedback, you need to ask for it because people don't necessarily know that they need to give it to you. Does that answer that question? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've, I've worked with a number of clients who are non-native English speakers and only if they ask me, and this is me as their coach, right? They're paying me to be their coach. Mm. Only if they explicitly say to me, can you correct me on my grammar or my vocabulary if it's wrong? Only then will I give them that feedback. Because to me, and you, you mentioned this earlier, Tara, that, you know, as long as your message gets across, you know, mm. it doesn't matter about the accent. It doesn't matter if you don't have really sophisticated vocabulary. And to be honest, a lot of Australian native speakers don't have sophisticated vocabulary. Um, If as long as your message gets across, then you've achieved your goal, accent Mm. or no accent. So for me, if I'm working with someone and they communicate something and I understand it, then if a couple words are off, I'm just going to be like, well, that doesn't matter. I don't mind. You know, I think it's great that I'd rather see that you are excited and passionate and, you know, wanting to deliver this message as opposed to worrying about, you know, tiny little mistakes in your language. And let's face it, we all make little mistakes in our language. You know, none of us are perfect, even native speakers. Absolutely. And, I mean, even when I'm teaching people, I think, oh, that's not how you say that. What am I saying that for? So, you're absolutely right about the message. The message to me is the most important thing. It shouldn't be about your accent because also your accent is part of who you are. Your accent is where you're from and and that tells a story about where you're from. And it also to me says I am willing to speak another language and to learn your language as well if you're speaking English to an English native speaker and therefore it's also a sign of respect almost, you know. So the, the most important thing is the message. What's one way that you might help a client to get clear on their message and communicate that? One way that I do that is make a time 
for them. So we might set uh, something, an activity or a, a speaking activity. I say, I want you to explain this to me. And then in doing that, then we then I will record it. Usually I record it and then we analyze it together. So I never, I never would record my student and, and say, oh, you made this mistake, you made this mistake, you made this mistake. It always has to come from them because it's about how they feel. It's about do you think that's coming across properly? What sounds do you think are, are challenging for you? What sort of things? And all the time, most of the time, they are able to identify it. They know what sounds they need to to look at. But as I said, it's about making that time for feedback because if if you're in a situation at work and you're always speaking but never getting that feedback, you're just thinking everything's great and it's all good. How do you know if everyone's understanding you? And I, I think this can be a problem actually is that we spend a lot of time just saying things and assuming that everyone understands us without knowing. You could also go the other way where in terms of if you're not getting the feedback, you may be thinking people don't understand, people don't understand when they actually do. You know, Tara, you mentioned before um, you were saying about the sounds that going through analysing their how they've uh, explained something and pinpointing the sounds they need to work on. What do you mean by that? So in English we have a lot of vowel sounds uh, and there's certain vowel sounds <clears throat> excuse me there's certain vowel sounds that are more challenging for certain nationalities just because of the ways that their mouth move and in their own native language so it can be very challenging so very often we'll go through I'll go through different words with people and we'll try and identify those vowel sounds so one example is french the french vowel sound with the h so the word happy for example is difficult for for french native speakers because they're not used to making that that sound so we will identify all of those vowel sounds that they have trouble with there's a very good video actually by um she's a she's actually australian uh her name is Emma from M English, and she makes this fantastic video about pronunciation and how you can how you can improve your pronunciation over a long period of time. And she identifies a lot of these these vowel sounds. So there's a, there's a lot of different ones that certain nationalities have challenges with. But yeah. I know Emma from M English. Yeah, she she used to be a um, an urban designer. I worked with her for a couple of years. Oh. But. She's amazing. There you go. All right. Well, everyone check out English. Yeah. I think it's a YouTube channel, isn't it? Yeah, it's a YouTube channel. It's very, very popular and I use her. She probably doesn't know this either. I use a lot of her videos for particularly with pronunciation. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Tara, tell me the difference between accent. So, on one hand, we've got your accent. It makes you unique. It helps you to stand out. And this is something I would love everyone to Everyone listening, if you get self-conscious about your accent, I want you to try to make the shift or start to make the shift that your accent is what makes you unique. It makes you stand out. It's like you said, Tara, it's part of who you are. So I think, you know, you've got mm. to embrace embrace that part of you that that is who you are. And so there's the accent side of it, but then there's also, as you were saying, Tara, the pronunciation. 
and which to me mm. forms part of the accent because how you pronounce something is also part of your accent. So where do we draw the line between, okay, I need to work on my pronunciation and change that? Where do you draw the line between that but also, oh, but my accent is who I am? I think it goes back to what you were saying about the message. I always use the message as the as the 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 bar. It's okay, where is the message getting across? Mm. If the message is not getting across, then we, we need to work on certain sounds. There are certain words, for example, where I'll I'll think to myself, I don't know what you're saying here. So that's when I will say, okay, we're going to draw the line at the accent and say we need to work on the pronunciation here because I don't know what you're saying. Mm. Uh, and, and often a lot of people can can be just going along saying certain things and not realising that what they're saying is is not uh, not how it should be pronounced or and, and that message is not coming across very clearly. So, yeah, it's more just about working on what what will get your message across more clearly, more effectively. And so the people around you are not sitting there thinking, what are they saying? You know, Tara, something I want to ask is about local slang and local humour because this is a very Mm -hmm. strong pain point that I hear from people where they say, you know, I feel left out. I don't know how do I make jokes or how do I – what do I do if I don't understand the local slang or the local humour? How can I better, you know, fit in? What advice would you have for them? That This is a tough question because it's really hard. I mean, it takes a long time to understand the humour. And I think particularly in Australia, it's very it can be really complex and layered. I have a friend who went here, he's English, and he came to Australia and someone said to him, we're going to go to Whoop Whoop. And it took him like five years to ask, where is Whoop Whoop? What are you talking about? So so he thought it existed and he speaks English. So don't feel bad about not understanding things like that. So that would be the first thing is that it does take time, You, but you really have to notice these things, uh, you know, being able to say a joke. I think also it goes down to mindset. So when I said this joke the other day in French, I just was sitting there for about 20 minutes saying, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it. I thought to myself, I went backwards and forwards thinking, oh, this is not going to be very funny. And I thought, you know what, who cares if I say it and it's not very funny? At least I tried. So I think it's also about just having a go based on what you know and, and, and what your level of the language is. But also there is another way that you can do it. I often suggest to uh, my students in Australia, there's a podcast called Aussie English done by Pete uh, and he's very funny. He's a very funny guy and he teaches English in such a way that he teaches people about humour, he teaches people about slang, but he also teaches people about the Australian culture. And so I really love what he does in, in that, he's not only teaching people the language, but he he understands that actually such a big part of learning a language is the culture and the humour and the slang. So I always recommend wherever you're going, whichever country you're living in, to try and find something that they teach you both the language and the culture and the slang. 
and get things like in Australia, there's lots of Aussie slang books and things like that. They're good, you know, coffee table <laughs> books, I think. So, and I would say you're not alone. It takes such a long time to understand humour and and things like that. Even even people that have been living in the country or grown up in the country can find humour hard sometimes. Oh, there are words Queen, Queenslanders have their own language that I don't understand. My sister's partner, <laughs> that's true. My sister's partner Bowie, is from Queensland, <laughs> and we were just having a chat one day, and we were talking about thongs, which in Australia are the <laughs> like fit flip-flops that people in the US would call them. We call them thongs. But in the in Queensland, they call them double <laughs> pluggers. And oh my God. I was like, what? And Bo was like, a double plugger. Like, don't you know what a double plugger is? And we're going, what the hell are you talking about? And we were like, this is some Queensland language. And I've, I grew up in Australia I, and I've never heard that in my entire life. So yeah. we still... I still hear words where I'm like, what is that? And it's local to the state. Absolutely. And I think, mm. you know, a big part of confidence, inner confidence, this is, goes for everyone, is to be okay with saying that you don't know something and to just go, you know what, I'm not a native English speaker and I have no idea what you just said. Can you please explain to me what whoop whoop is? Or can you please explain to Absolutely. me what thongs are? And an Australian... Yeah. Look, if they're a half decent Australian, they're not going to look at you and go, "I can't believe you don't know what whoop whoop is." Like they're not going to think any less of you <laughs> because it's like, "Well, how can we expect you to know what whoop whoop is?" Because you're clearly not you're not raised in Australia, we're not born here. So, I think yeah. just you. I think there's humor. We talk about humor. I think there's a de definitely a place for you to use the fact that you don't know stuff as a humorous part, like that that part of you. Absolutely. And turn it around. So instead of feeling ashamed, you know, shameful or embarrassed that you don't know what a word means, go, hey, excuse me, you know, I don't know what that means, please explain, and then have a bit of a laugh about it. Yes. And and, and I think you make such a good point, and I'm always thinking about this too, is that we need to call people out because communication is a two-way street. It's not it's not always your responsibility as a learner of the language to know everything. So we need to call out people and say, hey, I don't understand what you're talking about. Hey, I'm feeling left out here. Can you, can you help me here? Because often you will find that people, unless they've been in the situation where they've had to learn the language or they've been out of their comfort zone, they won't think about it. They don't even give two thoughts about it. So we need to call these people out and say, hey, give me, give me more. I need to understand what you're talking about. Definitely. And for everyone listening who is a native English speaker, like you were saying, Tara, it's a two-way street. And I think the more compassionate and aware we can be, if we're around people who we know aren't native English speakers, just being aware of the language that we are using and just being aware that we're not using too many colloquial terms or because that can feel like we're excluding that person. So Tara, we're coming towards the end of our conversation here. What would be some final words of advice you would have for people listening who are non-native English speakers? What's perhaps what's one or two things they can do 
to help them in their pursuit of excellence? Well, my number one thing that I always say, and I think I would say this till I'm blue in the face, is that if you want to improve the way that you communicate and the way that you speak, you need to listen to how other people do it. So I recommend listening to podcasts all the time because not only podcasts are so good because they can help you with lots of things. If you're listening to a podcast that's kind of in your industry and has to do with your job, you're listening to technical vocabulary. You're listening to how the language is used. You're listening to different accents. You're improving your listening comprehension. You're able to, you can do things like replicate what people are saying. So for me, listening and using listening as a tool is such a, an effective way to learn. You're just ticking off so many boxes when, you, when you're doing that. And I guess the other thing is, is to really think about some of the worries that you have and think about how are some of the ways you can work on your mindset. Because I think there's the technical aspect of learning the language and then there's the mindset and the, the identity of, you know, who you are is so intertwined in, in the way that you communicate. So I think that's important. So listening and working on mindset. Love it. Thanks, Tara. And before we go, tell us tell us a bit about your business, Arc English, and and the sorts of people you work with. My business is called Archie English, and I work with predominantly with people in the architecture industry. So architects, landscape architects, urban designers. And the reason that I do that is because I have a background in landscape architecture myself. So I have a lot of experience in communication. And so I, the ways that I work with my students, I do a one-to-one -one coaching program. So we, we do a lot of these things where I personalize their learning. So they come to me with a lot of the challenges that they have at work. And we, we do things very specific. So uh, it might be about writing an email to a contractor or things that are very specific. They're not general English. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time posting and explaining what I'm doing on LinkedIn, also on Instagram. Awesome. Well, for everyone listening, if this is something that you struggle with, then I do encourage you to reach out to Tara because she is very specialised in this area and she's got that lived experience. In fact, she is living in France right now, practising her own French-speaking yep. skills. Tara, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christina. A massive, massive thank you to Tara Cull from Arky English for being such a wonderful guest on the show this week. Tara has also been a very supportive listener of this podcast. So I want to say thank you, Tara, for sharing this podcast out with your students and with your community. It really does mean a lot. Now, to connect with Tara, I've put all her contact details in the show notes at thecmethod.com slash 272. So make sure you check it out. Also, if you got value from this podcast, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think may also be going through some of the challenges that we explored in this conversation. If you can share it with them and say, hey, I think you'd really like this podcast, it'll be a great way to help them and to also get this podcast out to more people. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Keep on being awesome and I'll talk to you next week. I'm Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs>